Happy Saturday, and welcome into another edition of the Sports Kiki Podcast. My name is Alex Reamer, episode number four. That's right, episode number four. It means we've been at this thing for four weeks, or in other words, an entire month. Thank you all for making this journey possible. It's been a lot of fun, and I feel like last week the podcast has finally hit its stride, and in fact has hit its apex, its peak, if you will, because, well, not only did I interview a former porn star, Casey Edenfield slash Troy Ryan, an excellent, excellent podcast. Thank you all for the feedback. I accomplished everything I wanted to with that show. Number one, I wrote a corresponding article on Outsports that was very highly read. The podcast was by far our most listened to episode so far, nearly doubling our next most popular episode. So thank you for that. So I wanted to interview Casey to get the word out there about the podcast. I know he has a large following. I knew he would promote it. Thank you, Casey. Number two, I wanted to interview Casey because it's an incredible story. And I know that's how self-involved I am. I choose (laughs) the popularity of my podcast over the incredible story. But in all seriousness, it was it's an incredible story that Casey has to tell. Uh, High school baseball star, Wanted to play in college. His father, Ken Edenfield, was a major league pitcher for a couple of seasons. Then he comes out prior to his junior year of college. And as we said last week, really the worst case scenario happens. His lifelong friends and baseball teammates shun him. His father initially uh, is not in favor of it as well. He's since reconciled with his father. And Casey says he enjoys a very close relationship right now with his dad in Tennessee. But at the time of coming out, his father wasn't very supportive either. And his baseball coach, who initially was supportive, he resigned over an unrelated matter. A new coach comes in for Casey's senior season, his pivotal senior season, where he still is aiming to play in college. He's in the midst or starting the recruiting process. And this new coach comes in and doesn't play him at all. And Casey quits. He quits. He turns in his uniform and quits. And then a few months later, is out trying out for uh, an adult film for Helix Studios out in California, which he wound up doing for several years, participating in 27 shoots, I think the number was. Uh, so a great, great interview with Casey. Honestly, we went about 35 minutes. Uh, I could have gone an hour in 35 minutes. So as a result, he will be back on the show uh, for the podcast, for the story, and the third reason... Why And most selfishly, the reason why I wanted to have him on is now I'm uh, DMing with a porn star, which is pretty cool, pretty awesome. I mean, that is really, when we get to the crux of it, that's the real reason why I wanted Casey to come on the show last week. So now you know how self-involved I am. If beginning the show last week, complaining about uh, my overnight radio schedule wasn't a big enough clue for you, I'm the kind of person where if I'm going through, I don't want to say a tough time, it was a lot of fun to be on national sports talk radio for five overnights in a row and talking to people at 3.30 in the morning about LeBron James and other matters. Like, that is cool that you are out there at that time, and there are tons of people out there listening. And in fact, if you are in national sports talk radio or national talk radio in general, I guess, uh, the overnight hours are, are where it's at. That's where you clear the most affiliates. But regardless, I'm the kind of person where if I'm going through anything at all, Uh, I need everybody to know about it. I need everybody to know about my different schedule. I need everybody to know about my sleep. I I just, and I need to be asked, oh, how are the overnights going? It makes me feel good. I'm really fishing for compliments. That's another big goal of this podcast. Uh, But in all sincerity, I keep saying another big goal for this podcast, but really another reason why 
I was so excited to start up the show without sports, and this ties into our show this week, is, you know, I think a podcast can be a great setting for a lot of thoughtful conversations that you don't usually hear on television or the radio just due to time constraints. Um, And also, of course, podcasts serve a niche audience. Uh, This is a very niche uh, sect anyway, LGBTQ in sports, and this podcast, which focuses on a little bit of everything, but I say we primarily focus on media coverage of LGBTQ issues in sports uh, when I'm not interviewing porn stars and DMing with uh, big famous uh, adult film stars, as, as I do now, uh, <laughs> but uh, is, uh, is even more niche. But you know, I, I think a story this week about the St. Louis Blues, who um, host a Hockey is for Everyone night. They did it last year during the season. Uh, every NHL team, as of two years ago, was doing a Hockey is for Everyone slash Pride night. Uh, this year, the Blues uh, still hosting their Hockey is for Everyone night, except it is happening while the team is on the road playing the Capitals in Washington, D.C. So the St. Louis Blues are hosting a Hockey is for Everyone night watch party. Uh, The Stanley Cup champions won't be in the house for that. And the first column I read about this really caught my eye and motivated me to write my own column about it on OutSports is this piece on USA Today's For the Win uh, titled The St. Louis Blues Found Time for a Star Wars Night During a Home Game, But Not Hockey is for Everyone. The author is uh, one of the editors at For the the Win, uh, Hemel Javari, who was kind enough to join us on the show this week. You will hear that interview coming up in a few minutes. Um, so Hemel really runs through it, excoriates uh, the Blues for, again, holding their LGBTQ hockey is for everyone night during a road game. And basically, uh, the argument that she gets from the organization, the VP of Media and Brand Mark and Brand Communications, Mike Caruso, is... Due to unprecedented ticket demand and sales following last season's success, we weren't able to execute as many ticket promotions as we have in the past. However, instead of foregoing hockey is for everyone completely, we wanted to brainstorm ways to continue its application. That is where the idea of a watch party came in. So... There you have it. Uh, You look at the Blues promotional calendar for the season. uh, They had Love Your Melon Night. They had a Star Wars night, as the headline mentions. Uh, They had a night even called Rizzuto Night, which celebrates a local St. Louis sports talk radio host who, yeah, I'm sure is very much worth celebrating. Uh, But so that that shows you, though, where the Blues are with these theme nights. They they had enough room, uh, despite their Stanley Cup success last year, to still hold a night honoring a sports talk radio guy, but hockey is for everyone, their pride night. Uh, no, we had to move that to a watch party, make it an away game. So I sent Mike Caruso a follow-up email before I published my column on Thursday about, again, why hockey is for everyone was removed from the home schedule. And he writes back to me, Alex, the 12 theme nights that we held were based on past ticket sales response, overall fan engagement, and contracted sponsorship elements. There were several theme nights and promotions that we had to forego due to a lack of ticket availability. One example is our school fundraiser program, but there are others as well. Our Hockey is for Everyone watch party is our effort to bring that message and event back into focus. Well, first of all, that's a load of crap. You don't bring an event back into focus by making it a watch party and, again, holding it while the team isn't even in town playing a home game. That's number one. Apparently, hockey is for everyone as long as nobody is there. But number two, what Caruso's response to me basically says is, last year, 
when we needed to hold as many promotions as possible to push ticket sales, yeah, no problem. Sure, we'll have a hockey is for everyone night during an actual home game. We'll promote it to our LGBTQ fan base, and we're happy to take their money when we need it. Now that we don't need it so much, now that ticket sales have improved, uh, yeah, this isn't a priority for us. We're just going to push this away to a home date. We still want to do it because we still want to check that box, but this is not as important to us as, again, Love Your Melon Night, Rizzuto Night, Star Wars Night, so we're holding it on an away game, watch party. No one will notice, right? No, we did notice, and it says the message that, again, Pride Night for the St. Louis Blues organization, or as they're dubbing it, Hockey is for Everyone Night. Uh, this is an afterthought. This is a secondary thing that the organization is doing. And, you know, I understand the other arguments. Like, why do you care? I mean, the, the LGBTQ rights movement is not affected one iota, whether or not the St. Louis Blues hold a Pride Night during a home game, hold one during an away game and make it a watch party, or don't even hold one at all. I, I understand that. On a policy level, this doesn't affect anything. Uh, but it does affect things on a public opinion level. And here is why I think, and this is one of the several things we talked about with Hemel, which uh, initially started about just this issue, the St. Louis Blues and their hockey is for everyone scheduling, but turned into a, a much larger conversation about the significance of Pride Nights in general, and, and really kind of about a corporation's cloak themselves in a lot of this pro-social uh, progressive messaging to kind of build social capital and then use that social capital to hide more of the untoward uh, business practices that they heap on us in the world. So it's a very interesting uh, conversation. And again, another reason why I was so happy to have her on. But uh, yeah, I think a Pride Night is, is more important than any other promotional night because it does send a message of significance. We, we talk all the time about sports, about how sports are traditionally uh, exclusive places for members of the LGBTQ community. And that is why our website in 2020 still serves a vital purpose. I mean, yes, we have more LGBTQ representation in mainstream pop culture than ever before. As a result, we have more representation in the sports world than ever before, but we still have a long ways to go. And there are still so many stories of so many athletes who do not feel comfortable when they first come out, when they first reveal their gender identity, sexual orientation. We tell those stories on a weekly basis. So that's why it's important. Representation matters, and it's important to promote a message of inclusivity because sports traditionally have been so exclusive. Uh, you know, a recent study found that 80% of people say they have heard or exhibited homophobic behavior on a sports field. So that tells you the picture right there, and anybody listening who grew up playing sports, regardless of your age, I am certain you heard homophobic language on the field, court, or ice as well. So that is why these teams holding pride nights is important. That's why I don't take a cynical eye to it. Sure, there's a corporate element to it. I'm sure some organizations do it for the PR brownie points, but there is a deeper message there. I live in Boston. The Red Sox every year do a great job with their Pride Night. And when Mookie Betts was here, he was wearing rainbow pride colored socks. He was wearing armbands. He was really, you could tell, uh, in you know, the, the Nike, the Pride check equality. I mean, he was wearing all of that stuff. And that sends such a huge message. Imagine being a 12, 13-year-old baseball player uh, who is struggling with his or her sexuality or his or her identity and you turn on the Red Sox game that night, and you see Mookie Betts decked out head to toe in the rainbow flag on Pride Night, and you say, huh, 
actually, I do belong here. If the best player on the Red Sox, if the American League MVP is wearing the rainbow flag while he roams the outfield and steps up into the batter's box, I belong too. So that is why Pride Night is so important, why I do think this is a story worth telling, and in the Blues case, a story worth getting pretty upset about. And it it, it, it goes beyond your typical corporate promotional ticket sale uh, night. Uh, You know, that's why the Avalanche came under fire this week as well. We had a column on Out Sports by one of our great contributors, uh, Shelby Weldon, who covered the story with the Avalanche uh, Pride Night, who basically used a lot of their promotion. This was held Wednesday. Uh, They used a lot of their outreach uh, to allies, not members of the actual community, Uh, They made many posts on social media soliciting allies to send videos of support, uh, saying, I am an ally. Uh, They also had ally ticket packages that were later changed to to pride packages, but there was no apology or acknowledgement about what they were originally branded as. So that's why that's important too. I mean, so many people in the LGBTQ community take a lot of pride in these hockeys for everyone nights for the NHL, these pride nights for the other leagues. And to have it just marketed towards allies, I think does miss the mark quite a bit as well. And also is an issue worth raising. So again, a uh, very interesting and in-depth conversation with Hemel Javeri. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed conducting it, and then we'll reconvene uh, for a brief recap on the other side, including a note on why uh, I think Pete Buttigieg's presidential campaign was just so important. Uh, those who follow my Twitter feed or listen to me some other places know I was not the biggest fan of Mayor Pete as a political candidate this time around. I did not support him, but uh, still I think about a week after he he seated from the race, and now the race is down to two uh, white men in their upper 70s, I think it is important to reflect on, uh, on that just very briefly. Uh, so we'll do that as well. It's the Sports Kiki on OutSports and wherever podcasts can be found. And welcome back. As promised, we have Hemel Javeri. She is an editor and columnist for USA Today's For the Win blog. Uh, I thought she wrote a great piece earlier this week about how the title is the St. Louis Blues found time for a Star Wars night during the home game, but not hockey is for everyone, which I think really kind of prompted an avalanche of coverage, including the calm that uh, I wrote on Out Sports. Uh, Hemel, thanks for coming on the Sports Kiki. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, thank you for kikiing with us. Very few guests even know what I'm talking about when I say the name of the podcast, so I, pre- I appreciate um, you. I, I, of course. <laughs> Kiki's a little party, you know? It's like, it's, it's like a little party we're having here. It's a Friday afternoon when we're recording, so it's kind of that party feel. Um, my first question for you is, what prompted you to write this column on the blues and uh, the them holding the the hockey night is for everyone uh, on an away game. Looking at your author blog, you do write about the NHL fairly often, but it seems like you more deal with social issues that intersect with sports, which I really enjoy. But what what about this story stood out to you? Yeah, sure. Specifically, I will say that I was tipped off to the story by a writer at the Washington Capitals blog, Russian Machine. Okay. Uh, Brennan is somebody who I follow on social media as well. And she had written uh, pretty much a straightforward kind of news piece about it saying, hey, the St. Louis Blues are actually having their hockey is for everyone as a watch party. Uh, that prompted me to take a more in-depth look into it uh, and I saw that Greg Wazinski from ESPN had also pointed out that the St. Louis Blues found time 
for all these other pride nights. And he specifically kind of called out the fact that they had three scout nights, um, boy scout nights or girl scouts, I guess. Yeah. And the intersection of all of that really, you know, it really bothered me. I think that as a columnist, I do tend to follow kind of my own opinion, but I am mostly motivated by what I see oftentimes as a kind of corporate hypocrisy in that, Mm. you know, they are willing to profit off of the great PR and messaging that they get from hockey is for everyone. But oftentimes the, uh, it's, you know, they are willing to sacrifice allyship if it means that they can generate higher revenue. And, and that intersection is what really made me feel like it needed to be explored a little bit more. Yeah. And what did you make of the, uh, so you emailed the VP of media and brands communications, uh, Mike Caruso, and his response to you was due to unprecedented ticket demand and sales following last season's success. Of course, the blues won the cup. Uh, we weren't able to execute as many ticket promotions as we have in the past. What did you make of that answer and his general reasoning for why hockey is for everyone, which, as you said, is the night NHL teams are on to promote LGBTQ inclusion, uh, putting that on a road game while literally nobody is there opposed to an away game, a home game. What did you make of his, of his explanation? Uh, honestly, I'll be I'll be totally honest. I am not sure what to make of the explanation. You yeah. can find the explanation on For the Win. It's there. It's about uh, 150 words, and to me, it doesn't really say anything. So Mike Crusoe from the Blues, we I reached out to him a handful of times before I wrote the column. Said, "Hey, I would really like to talk to you guys about this. Figure out what's going on." Did not hear back. Uh, when I did hear back from him, it was about five hours after the column had been published, and it was kind of taking off on the internet. So to me, it felt like they were trying to do a little bit of damage control, but it was a little bit too late. And uh, within his uh, explanation, he said that uh, they would only, if they had done a hockey is for everyone night during a home game, they would have only been able to sell a handful of tickets. And by a handful, I mean a few hundred. So that makes me think that the other ones had already been sold, right? Like they, at this point in their season, they're doing really well. They are, you know, almost a lot to make the playoffs. They want to monetize as much as possible. And so he made it sound like they wanted to sell 18,000 seats for people who only cared about hockey is for everyone versus just a handful. That to me is uh, a little disingenuous. That's not really the spirit of the event. The spirit of the event isn't, hey, come into our arena and then celebrate inclusivity. It's uh, these home games are meant for us to be welcoming spaces for everyone, right? Like that includes people that might not care about hockey is for everyone. That includes giving them that specific message. So I thought it was really disingenuous. Um, I thought that it's just a way for them to make more money. It's, you know, only $5, like half of the proceeds for each ticket sale is getting donated versus the full amount. Um, And they also have not said which organizations will be benefiting. I specifically asked him, can you name a few? And he just replied back saying that there were about 20 organizations. Right. Yeah. I I thought that was interesting as well. Uh, Certainly tells you, right. Cause it certainly tells you there might be something they want to hide or else they would probably be more, a little more. I mean, cause if you're in their situation, if the proceeds were all going to all these LGBTQ charities, that's something that wouldn't you want that included in a story that, you know, reflects negatively on you. I know I would if I were in his position. So that does raise questions. Yeah. 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 And again, I, after I got the email, I tried to reach out to them again via email and via phone and none of those calls were answered. Um, So I think that, you know, I don't know if the Blues are trying to hide something. It's just that they did not really think about this, right? Like they are coming off, they are coming off of a cup win. 
and it feels like they really went in to be able to monetize as heavily as possible on this entire season. And hockey is for everyone just feels like an afterthought to me. Right. Um, I don't really think that they have thought about this at all. They were just like, yeah, we'll put together a watch party and it's a way for us to generate revenue and kind of check this box. Uh, that's a great way to put it. Check this box. And of course it's an afterthought because as you mentioned in your column, there's star Wars night, there's love your melon night. Uh, they even had a night this year in celebration of a local talk radio host. Somehow they found a you know a way to f- squeeze that into the home schedule. Not hockey is for everyone night. Um, and his answer to me, so I followed up with a follow-up on your question. And he basically kind mm-hmm. of spelled it out as saying the 12 theme nights that we held were based on past ticket sales response, fan engagement, and sponsorship elements. And, and basically just saying that there were several theme nights we had to forego due to lack of ticket availability. So the way I read that is him basically kind of saying like, you know, we were happy holding hockey is for everyone night when we may need an extra boost for a, for a home gate. But, you know, once we had enough tickets, we were fine kind of shuffling that off to an away game night, just as you said, check the box and then, you know, throw on our Star Wars night as planned. I agree with you. I think that's that's the right takeaway from it. Um and also a little bit crassly, they were just like, hey, we can do a watch party and make more money, right? Like it was not so much the altruism or the spirit of hockey is for everyone. They definitely saw this as also a revenue opportunity. Yeah. Hockey is for everyone as long as nobody is there. That's, that's all I yeah. do with developing it <laughs> at an away game. Um, I, I do have a question, Himmel. How do you identify? Are you straight or? Oh, I'm, I'm straight and uh, I, I do identify as a woman. Okay, great. No, because I was just wondering, so that makes it even more interesting that you chose to write this column about, you know, hockey is for everyone night. Why to you are Pride Nights more important than any other promotions that these multi-billion dollar corporations slash teams uh, throw out there on a, on a season, every season? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good question. And for me, it's really important because sometimes I guess you can call it rainbow washing because it just feels like to a degree, it feels like it's not enough. Like a Pride Night is a great first step for an organization to put forward kind of as a clear message to all fans of the team that says everyone is welcome in this building. This is what we stand for as a team. This is what we stand for as players. And that to me is kind of a baseline. And Pride Nights have become kind of ubiquitous that we we kind of see them. And I don't want to say we roll our eyes, but we're like, yeah, that's a great thing. Like, good for them. And I hope people go and I hope that they have fun. But when you take that out of the equation, I, I think it sends a message to the community that this one thing that we are giving you to to celebrate you and to be as inclusive as possible, like we can't even give you that is is really discouraging. I, I don't know if it means more to me. I don't think it means more to me as a straight person. Um, I, I just am, again, baffled by a team who wants to trade on this message of hockey is for everyone and then not even do the bare minimum to uphold that standard, but still right. want to get a pat on the back. Right. Like, like holding it during a home game, <laughs> you know, like some sort of crazy well, standard. Yeah. And, and this is really interesting to me because player, the NHL and teams in general want to say, yeah, our players really care about equality and they're all for this kind of thing. But if your players are not even on the ice, what does that say? Right, exactly. Um, and I think that's a good answer, too, because, you know, something that I always say is, you know, sports, of course, have traditionally not been a welcome place for people of the LGBTQ community. I think I saw a poll, like 80% of people say they've heard homophobic language or exhibited uh, that kind of behavior with sports. So that's why Pride Night, to me, 
you know, means more than other promotional nights because it does, you know, like you see, I live in Boston, like Mookie Betts every Pride night for the Red Sox would wear like, you know, rainbow <laughs> cleats. And, and that's like amazing for the best player and one of the best, you know, an MVP to be wearing the rainbow flag on the field. Like it's hard to send a bigger message of inclusion than that, I think. I, yeah, I think that's so great. Like, I think that that really does help. Um, and I, I'm probably a little bit too cynical in the work that I do. Um, and I'm always just like, God, I really hope that athletes show up and I hope yeah. athletes do this. But, but that really does make a difference, right? And, and I'm really glad that – and it's not to me to judge whether or not it makes a difference. Like, it really is about you and how you feel when you see that message. Um, so it is discouraging that – none of the players will actually be involved. It's not like they're going to be wearing their pride caps like on Capitol, on Washington Capitol ice. Right, exactly. That's another good point. So I am interested to get your take on this other uh, pride night related story in the NHL that we covered this week. Uh, I'm sure you followed about the Colorado Avalanche, um, the controversy they had with their hockey is for everyone slash pride night where they sent a message uh, basically just asking straight allies uh, they, they geared a lot of their marketing towards straight allies, the, the avalanche shit, asking straight allies to send in tweets, etc. Didn't really mention the LGBTQ community in their promotion to their, hot, their, to their Pride Night. What were your thoughts on that story this week? Um, I think that it shows that the clubs really have a lot of work to do in terms of trying to figure out what they are trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. I think that the avalanche obviously thought that they wanted to broaden this and like make it more inclusive and make it for allies versus the fact that they were not reaching the people who this night is meant to support. Right. And that's mm -hmm. such a glaring oversight. Um, I have no idea what they were thinking. I've not reached out to the team about it, but I really hope that they take that feedback into account and do better moving forward. Yeah, and I just should be clear. So they originally were marketing their Pride Night tickets by selling ally packages, which have since been changed to answer your question of Pride packages. But that, that was the initial thing that a lot of folks, and we wrote about it, had an issue with the kind of really targeting the ticket sales towards allies well, and allies only. Well, the other thing is, is I, I think that what it really does show is kind of the corporatization of the entire Pride pride movement right like you can yes what i've seen with pride days and pride parades now is that it's just a reason for a bunch of straight people to get drunk right. versus like really yeah. realizing the sacrifices that were made you know in this movement and to really support the people who, right. who these causes are meant to support so that to me is just like that they kind of just see it as like another marketing opportunity right. which is not great right i mean i live in boston every year the pride parade is lame as hell i mean it's just a bunch of banks basically uh with with you know on on floats uh with logos yeah. plastered everywhere and, and i think you see that too in terms of our politics you know i don't think it's a coincidence that you know corporate politics socially are very progressive even look at the nfl and all these leagues are very progressive you know at least in terms of lips you know lip service for lgbt issues and you say that they use a lot of the time the social energy and really kind of social points they get for these stances to maybe cloak kind of the more, you know, capitalistic, uh, dirty parts of their, of their operation. They kind of hide behind the cloak of the energy behind these social movements. And I think you see that with these pride nights, as you mentioned. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think cloak is a great word. I think that the NHL especially is, is trying to cloak 
everything else that happens. Like I wrote about this earlier, I think it was last week, but Barstool Sports uh, partnering with Bauer Hockey, right? Like Barstool is a hotbed of toxicity, especially for towards women and Bauer treats itself as like, e, you know, the NHL's equipment partner and is profiting off of that relationship. Like they, corporations will absolutely use this movement just to get more money out of you. And that's not what we should allow them to get away with. How do you think the NHL is doing with its hockey is for everyone and pride night initiatives as a whole? Because admittedly, I'm not a diehard hockey person, but I've always had the perception that the NHL, given its partnerships with you can play. Um, I always felt like it was actually one of the more quote unquote liberal leagues, but it seems like a lot of blowback this week says maybe not just in general. How, how do you think the NHL is doing with, with these initiatives as a whole? Uh, I think that they have a lot of work okay. still left to do. I think that Kim Davis, who is kind of in charge of, uh, I think her official title is, is very long, but it's like executive vice president of like social initiatives and community outreach and stuff. Hockey is for everyone kind of falls under her umbrella. And I think that they are trying their best to get clubs to move in the right direction, but you really are dealing with a culture that is entrenched in patriarchy, sexism, and uh, heteronormativity, right? And it's very hard to get people to make these cultural changes. Like the NHL can put forth all kinds of guidelines that, you know, say, hey, we need you to do this, we need you to do this, but to make that cultural change is very slow. And then how do you do that? Because like we said, uh, you know, all of these leagues at the corporate level, I mean, Adam Silver is marching in pride parades. They're, they seem to be checking all the right boxes, but there seems to be a disconnect between the corporate executive suites and the actual locker rooms. What are some ways you think that they can bridge that divide? I think it starts with kind of what we're doing right now. It starts with partly the media being able to shine a light on where these initiatives are falling apart and when they're not living up to the spirit of the event versus just kind of, like you said, cloaking things or checking a box. I think where the NHL really falls apart is at the team level. There are only a handful of players who are willing to be vocal about their support for not just pride nights, but, you know, speak freely on issues of racism in hockey, Mm -hmm. speak freely on issues of sexism in hockey with the NBA, you see a lot more players right. who are kind of supported in being political. They're not right. shunned by their organizations if they do do that. And the NHL still has this culture of, uh, you know, they say it's about the logo on the front, not the jersey on the back. So it, to me, it really has to start at the very lower levels, right? Like when you are bringing kids into the game, this is when you need to tell them this stuff is not okay. But we also need to be able to empower players. And I think ask more of NHL players. Like it is not enough that Sidney Crosby is just a great hockey player. He needs to be able to use his platform um, to, to say whatever it is that he believes. And he really doesn't. So I think there's a real vacuum of leadership at the player level too. Well, but that, that's an interesting question though. And it's a debate that I had all the time when I would do a lot of sports talk radio here in Boston is, you know, like where do you think the onus falls on an athlete to use his or her platform? Like for, to use your example, Sidney Crosby is a great hockey player, but why? Because he, you know, can shoot a puck into a net with a stick. Why does that make him somebody who needs to weigh in on important social issues? What would be your argument? To that? I, I think that it's not so much that he needs to weigh in on social issues, but I think that when you reach that level, there is power that is associated with that. And like you said, 
you said it meant a lot to you to see Mookie Betts come out and wear yes. that pride cap, right? Like it's that responsibility. It's that knowing that whether you like it or not, you are a role model. Your fame comes with privileges and it also comes with responsibility. And some of that responsibility is what kind of citizen do you want to be in the world? What kind of effect do you want to have on your sport that isn't just related to your own personal gain, right? I, I don't know anything about Sidney Crosby. I, I don't know why he doesn't speak up about things that I don't know if it's because he's just a good Canadian or he just doesn't care, but he really is somebody who is so visible in the NHL world who has taken a pass on, on all of these things. Um, and you can see what happens in the NBA, right? Like you can see the, the large personalities that LeBron James has, you can see what they do as a league to kind of better the world around them. I don't think you should be able to get a pass just because you don't feel like you, you want to weigh in on these issues. What if somebody like Sidney Crosby is a, not to use him, but I don't, as we said, we have no idea what his beliefs are. But what if I'm a staunch conservative, a Kurt Schilling, and I'm using my platform to espouse very conservative belief? I'm not thinking I'm being hateful. I think I'm pledging the right message, but obviously, you know, we would disagree. What? How about that? Like, what if? What if you? What when you see athletes who do do what you're saying, but they're espousing the opposite message? What's your viewpoint there? I I think that's fine. Yeah. I think that's totally fine. Like, I would just love NHL players to be less of a blank slate and pretend like they don't have to engage with issues of the world, right? Like they act like they're above it and because it's sports, it doesn't really matter. But all sports is political and to pretend that because you play a sport means that you don't have any responsibility to anything else is ludicrous. Like, that's great. Like if you, I, I don't agree with anything Kurt Schilling says. I think that he should be suspended from Twitter for quite a while for some of the things that he said, but I respect his right to do it. Um, yeah. And the fact that we get so many apolitical non-comments from hockey players who just act like this is not a thing that bothers them is to me, one of the most privileged things that you can do. That's a good way to put about it, you know, privileged. Uh, Tom Brady is the same way in, in Boston. I mean, he had the Trump thing, but I mean, didn't, never, never is weighed in on those issues. And, and, and like you, I mean, I think I say, I don't, I don't think it detracts. I mean, you say, like, you know, it's their choice, obviously, what they want to say and don't say. But, you know, it's just, I can never fathom having a platform like that. And in today's divided world, especially, it seems like sports stars are really kind of the last beacon of people who can reach both sides of the aisle, if you will, like everyone watches basketball, everyone watches LeBron James, everyone pays attention to what he says. So especially now, I feel like there's such an opportunity for athletes to make a difference. I, I, I'm upfront about it. I am disappointed like you are when star athletes do not use their platform for something besides, you know, selling their own brand of Uggs or what have you. Yeah, and really it's about preserving their bottom bottom line, right? The players don't speak out because they want to preserve their own comfort. Sidney Crosby just doesn't want to be in the news for certain things, and he's not going to say anything about it. Um, and I, I don't really agree with those choices, and I don't really respect that choice either. Uh, Hemel Javeri is a editor columnist, USA Today's For the Win. Uh, great conversation, Hemel. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. So thanks go out again to Hemel Javeri for joining me on the show today and for kikiing. I believe we are 0 for 4 in terms of guests who understand the name Sports Kiki. Uh, Don Ennis, episode 1, said she did not know. Steve Buckley, my good pal, episode 2. Uh, ignorance is a day is long about these things, unfortunately. He was a no. 
Uh, Hemmel was a no, I think. And Casey, last week, I didn't ask Casey. Casey might have known, actually, what the what a kiki is. You know what? That's the reason to have him on again. Ask him what a kiki is. There we go. We have our follow-up interview. But again, hopefully you enjoyed the conversation. As I mentioned at the top, it evolved into something a little deeper than just about Pride Nights and the blues in general, which is great. And I think the point about how corporations use a lot of these socially progressive movements and use the energy to cloak themselves and build social capital and still continue on with untoward business practices and in reality make lives, you know, make the lives for these marginalized people and make these marginalized communities worse off in the long run, even though they may still, ooh, wow, march in a pride parade. Um, so it, it and, and given all that's happening in our politics right now, especially on the Democratic side, uh, with the two main candidates we have remaining, uh, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, uh, I, I do think it is something worth highlighting. Speaking of the Democratic presidential field, I would be remiss if I did not mention uh, the dropping out of the first uh, openly gay presidential candidate of a major party to win delegates in a state primary or caucus, and that's Pete Buttigieg, who finished towards the top of Iowa, neck and neck with Bernie Sanders, also a strong number two finish in New Hampshire. He dropped out of the race last Sunday night, so about a week ago. Um, This ties into us at Outsports because golfer golfer Scott Piercy uh, posted a, a real homophobic joke on his Instagram page about this. Uh, with a, a Pepe the with, with a little it looks like Pepe the Frog who's like that right wing meme that they all use uh, with QNN so QAnon nice like that uh, Peter pulls out early from behind was the was the Chiron on this QNN uh, so this is a QAnon guy obviously he's nuts he his apology was BS. Uh, he said, whenever I post, my intent is never to offend. I want to apologize if any of my recent story posts have been offensive. Uh, so he uses the word if. He says, I never intend to offend. But that kind of post, you would say, if you're not intending to offend, what else are you doing? So, uh, you know, I take his apology with a grain of salt. But in terms of Pete Buttigieg, you know, I was not a supporter of his campaign. I, I, I didn't love his policies. I thought, A, he was uh, not very consistent with his policies. He started out on a very progressive platform, and as time eroded and he saw, oh, my lane actually might be more in the center, he then scaled back his platform and I think got kind of nasty about Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and kind of derogatory and started spouting some right-wing talking points about health care that I just found to be kind of disingenuous uh, on the debate stage. So I wasn't a big fan of Pete's campaign and how he carried himself towards the end of the campaign. But And that's a great thing, that I was able to sit there in today's day and age and look past the identity and actually judge him on the match on on the on the substance of his candidacy uh, because it, it, I think it did go overlooked at least by me and I think a lot of people in the community uh, about just how significant it was that we had an openly gay candidate be a major contender for one of the two major parties. Uh, presidential tickets, and not as the VP, as the actual guy heading it, the president, the person heading it, I should say, the president. So it was just, I think, you know, again, it's a show of how far we've come in a lot of respects that it was not a major, 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 major talker. I mean, it was, but a lot of people... That, that that was day one with Pete Buttigieg, and we kind of got into every everything else. And when you read 
you know, a comment like this golfer Scott Piercy, or of course, most infamously a couple weeks ago, Rush Limbaugh and his idiocy of what voters will think when they see two guys kissing on the on the stage or something like that. And when, when so when stuff like that happens, it really gets brought back into focus. But or that woman in Iowa who went viral, who supported Buttigieg and then wanted her vote back when she found out he was, you know, gay. So there there were instances like that where it's like, oh yeah, this still is a thing for a large you know, a sizable percentage of people, but overall, we were able to kind of look past it, and I think that's a good thing, regardless of how you feel about his candidacy, and certainly takes a lot of bravery and a lot of guts to be honest about who you are on the national stage like that, and it really struck me, and the significance of it struck me at the end when he announced he was pulling out, and Chasten Buttigieg, his husband, introduces him and says, Pete has always believed in me and supported me, and I'm, I was so glad to share my husband with you, and, and they went up there and kissed, and it was, wow, it was something that I'm sure a lot of folks thought they would never, ever see, and even not too long ago, maybe 20 years ago, you're like, gay president, no way, Uh, never could happen, and now I think Pete's candidacy has shown that it could very much happen, Um, it could very much happen, so uh, very significant moment that I know, at least for me, I kind of brushed over a lot in this presidential cycle, which is just good. And I think in a lot of cases, a sign of progress that I was able to brush over it and focused on a litany of other things with Buttigieg. But just to go back to that, it was a very important event. So just wanted to say my piece there. Uh, Thank you all for listening. As always, if you have guest ideas, hit me up on Twitter. At AlexDreamer1 is my Twitter handle. That is at AlexDreamer1. I'm always looking for interesting topics, interesting guests. This is a crowdsource type show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for geeking. We'll be back next Saturday.